BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Incomparable, number 700, January 2024. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. In this episode, we are revisiting Miyazaki Club, which we thought was over, but... Oh, hi, I'm Miyazaki, the man who would not retire, or man who keeps retiring and then keeps not retiring. He's back with another film. It is The Boy and the Heron. We saw it. We're going to talk about it. So... An unexpected, well, no, it's actually expected. We knew this was going to happen when we recorded the end of Miyazaki Club. Uh, a, a, a return to the weird world of Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, joining me to talk about the boy and the heron. How do you live? Are these three wonderful people? Moises Chuyon joins me. Hello. Uh, souls are made of marshmallow fluff. Mm, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. John Syracuse is here. As always for the Miyazaki Club, hello. Nothing is over unless he decides it is. And also, as usual for the Miyazaki Club, Steve Lutz. Hi, Steve. Hi, Jason. I could not be happier to be here for this deep dive into the world of bird poop. Oh, I, you know, okay. So a little t- a little peek behind the curtain. I texted Steve after I saw Boy and the Heron, specifically saying... So much bird poop. So much bird poop. <laughs> and and his response was, I was saying the exact same thing. There is, you know, when you do a movie where birds feature prominently, mm-hmm. you have a choice to make. You can sanitize it. You can pretend that birds aren't just dropping their poop all over the place all the time. Or you can embrace it and say, you know what? I'm going to get real here. I'm going to use the precious, precious work of professional just master animators to make sure that we properly paint all the bird literally, poop. Literally, literally painting bird poop. Beautiful I'm painting. I'm kind of, of shocked bird this poop. stood out for you so much in a movie that involves very large fish disembowelment. Mm, that's well, true that's too. too. I mean, we'll get there. There's a lot of a lot of giant fish organs <laughs> in this movie. So if you're asking and, yourself, and, and listeners, we're not just talking about like like streams of of liquid bird poop. We're talking the chunk style. Okay, there's oh yeah, and streaks on windows yeah. and like there's a moment. There's okay. We're gonna just talk about the bird poop up front. Okay, we have right. to do it. I mean, you have to. It is it is maybe the most prominent thing in the movie. Um, I was so I saw this with my family, and afterward, Lauren says to me, "You know, the bird is standing on the window, and uh." And I think to myself, 
did it poop? And then I look and I'm like, no, I guess it didn't poop. And then they show when it leaves, they show the just dripping poop down the side of the wall from where the bird was like oh Miyazaki and then a few seconds later you see the outside of the of the window where there is also a giant stream oh yeah yeah I think I I think it says something both sides if this is to actually be his final film the greatest statement that he was held back from making was that we're not graphically honest enough about the leavings of birds in this world birds are disgusting and we need to confront this head on. And this has been his, this has been his most political stance, aside huh. from uh, you know n- nuclear issues and environmental issues. Um, it's it's that people need to understand that birds are disgusting. Everybody poops, especially yeah. birds. Especially birds. Especially now, I, we, birds. I also uh, went with the family, uh, and in our second viewing, uh, my wife decided that she was going to take a piece of popcorn and drop it into a different compartment of the a kids meal holder. Uh, each time there was a very blatant appearance of bird poop, and uh-huh. at the end we had seven, uh, seven pieces. Only of Only seven. I'm surprised. But I mean, like, there's seven is a lot. That's of by times appearance, is not be, volume, though. We should be clear, right? If it was volume, that whole thing would be full because there's a lot of poop there's, in each individual scene. But generally, you don't find seven scenes of blatant bird poop smearing in in any movie in of any, any movie. type. Yeah. Let alone a theoretically, you know, well, I mean, this isn't really a movie for kids completely, but, you know, it's anime and it's not, it doesn't have yeah. super adult themes. So it's a little weird is what I'm saying for there to be this much bird poop. But I, I kind of love it. And, and although Moises was, uh, you know, talking about how oh, very deep politics here, joking about that, I'm going to say Miyazaki is all about the nature. And I feel yeah. like in, in some ways, this is absolutely what he's doing here, which is, hey, I'm not going to pretend that birds don't have like stuff raining out of their cloacas sure. all the time because uh, they do and as somebody who works under a tree in my backyard all summer long let me tell you <laughs> i appreciate the truth it's you can't handle the truth you, you gotta you know if you don't be under a tree unless you understand what's gonna happen it's what's just, interesting it's is happen. that there's to my recollection there's vastly more appearance of 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 the duke uh in the real world as opposed to the fantasy world that we enter into uh, later in the film. Mm. Well, once they're, yeah, once they're upright and walking on two feet and, and wearing clothes and stuff, then presumably they get that whole situation sorted out in some way. Right. right. Well, I would be remiss to not mention that in the Parakeet City, uh, they have clearly placed spikes along all of the beams yeah, the, bir- at the, the top bird spikes yeah. to oh, deter yeah. the parakeets from pooping on each other, which is a nice touch. Well, I that's the whole thing. If you are a, uh, a bipedal parakeet who wears clothes, do you put bird spikes am. up? Do you put bird spikes up to stop the 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 regular birds, like the just regular normal size birds, from pooping on your head? Is that what those are for? So like, aren't, it's kind of aren't no, all birds no, the, bipedal? The, par- the parakeets. I know what the you mean, but like they, like they took they took that area over. They were not native. They did not build that area. Ah, they they took it over. So that's that's like there. from earlier when they were fighting yeah. to keep the birds out. Which they I mean I mean who are we to talk? Because we have those things that keep the homeless people from sleeping on benches. So uh-huh. I feel yeah. like we. Have have, we have no leg to stand on here. Yeah, there's a class right. system amid right. and the studs to keep skateboarders off the sides of fountains. Exactly, and that's all. That's all just within one species. Uh-huh. I feel like we need to back up a little bit, but this is just—it's gold, people. It's gold. This is what the yeah. incomparable is all about. Do we? Or can we about. just talk about this for the next thirty? Minutes? We could. <laughs> it's a, a podcast about 
bird poop in animated films, as you know, one of the greatest directors of all time. <laughs> and parakeets that wear clothes and carry swords. Yeah, yeah so it, it is. So I, what I was going to say earlier before we got the other very interesting subject of bird poop, it, which is key to this movie, is that the boy and the heron going in, I managed to do what I very rarely do, which is keep the full media blackout. I knew nothing about this movie. Nothing. It's just, it's Miyazaki. He's back. He, we thought the wind rises was his goodbye, but oh no, that guy, you can't stop him. You can't stop him from picking up garbage outside his offices <laughs> and you can't stop him from smoking cigarettes and you can't stop him from making movies. He's just, he can't help himself. He can't help himself. So he's back, a boy in the heron. And I go in thinking, I don't know what kind of Miyazaki movie this is going to be. Is it going to be kind of a r- return to the sort of Slightly weird, but really gentle and pleasant. You know, your Totoro's, your your Kiki's Delivery Services, your your Ponyos. I mean, Ponyos slight, more than slightly weird, but it's kind of a, a gentle kind of story. It, or is it going to be one of those movies that's uh, that's more like a Spirited Away, where you're like, well, this is certainly weird. Uh, friends, I'm here to tell you, if you don't want the full media blackout, because we've already spoiled the fact that there's so much bird poop in this, I'm going to spoil something else for you now. This is a weird movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is it is Miyazaki weird. And if you're somebody who's like, oh, give it to me, more spirited away weird. I want the weird Miyazaki. Um, early on in this movie, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it is a Totoro-esque movie. Mm. Maybe this heron is going to lead him to a, a, a lead the boy, the titular boy and the titular heron to a like a, a cute, a cute world that is um, that is like uh, a gentle and Totoro-esque. And the answer is, well, it is a cute world, but mm, it's super weird. And that is what this it, movie it is. is. Not, it is not gentle. That's true. It, no. It, I mean, it, it opens with air raid sirens during World War II, for oh, one. What a, what a surprise. Um, sure. Although, yeah. Oh, that, that opening scene, by the way. So, that, yeah, it does open with, with uh, you know, uh, some, a building on fire in uh, World War II era Japan. Uh, and... The thing I know, because I also knew nothing about this movie going in intentionally. Um, they show the scene of our hero uh, running to the burning building where his mother is. And immediately the animation switches out of like standard Miyazaki animation in which no matter what is going on on the screen, no matter how weird it is, it is drawn the exact same way that he would draw a cup of tea on a table, right? But it switches to this impressionistic, very sort of uh, you know, sketchy where the, the drawing reflects the emotional state and the drama going on, everything kind of smeared. So I, I'm, you know, I'm hesitant to say non-photorealistic because obviously it's all animated, but the lines break. It is not Miyazaki animation style during the boys run to the burning building. Yeah. And rarely, very rarely has Miyazaki ever done anything like that before. The only thing that came to mind immediately was the childhood flashback scenes in Nausicaa, where yeah. she's remembering, they're flashing back to Nazca's childhood. She's remembering the baby, baby Ohm, and that was done in a sort of arty, sketchy kind of style to reflect the fact that it was a memory. And this was done in a style to reflect the state of mind of the boy and the heat yeah. and the flame and everything. Yeah, sw- those swoopy and, flames are something else. They're, it's they're, insanely, it's insanely beautiful. Yeah, it's, it is. It is some of the best animation I've ever seen in this yeah. one scene, and it is so out of character for a Miyazaki movie. Like, just look at the hours and hours of footage there is, and there's like 37 seconds of this in his entire history of stuff. And so this being the opening scene, I'm like, is this going to be what this movie is like? (laughs) Is it going to be this kind of stylistic flair based on the individual scene? And the answer is no. 
No, you're not, you're not going to see that again for the rest of the movie. But uh, right away, I was thrown off. I'm like, what am I in for here? And then like, kind of like Jason, as the movie started going, I'm like, okay, as the boy, he goes to the country. Again, a theme that we've seen in a lot of uh, Japanese animation and a lot of Miyazaki stuff. Um, is this going to be, I was thinking more of like Arietti, where the boy is, is like uh, in the bed because of a health condition and he's in the house and weird things go on and it's kind of gentle. Sure. And the answer pretty quickly to that is, nope. no, this movie is not going to be gentle. <laughs> and you mentioned before being like, or Steve mentioned maybe kind of not being a kid's movie. I think I would not show this movie to young children or vulnerable adults. <laughs> wow. This movie, I felt like this movie, even more than The Wind Rises, which involves, you know, uh, death snuggle forts and tuberculosis and other, ter- and, you know, and World War II and other terrible things. This movie was psychically aggressive in a way that I did not expect. And, and you know, considering it's a boy dealing with uh, the death of his mother, it kind of um, pretty much uh, by the, the halfway point, I'm like, this is a dark Totoro. This is a very, <laughs> very dark Totoro mm. because everything in this movie, I was like, I cannot believe like what I kept that. What is this rated G? Does this is I don't even actually even know. I need to look it up because movie websites are bad about pranks. Is this movie rated G? I is feel that like possible? it's got to be PG. There's a fair amount of blood. Yeah, there's the and bird poop <laughs> disembowelment of fish on screen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's it's, guns a, it's a PG thir- It's a PG thirteen. Is it really? Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna say, do not like, do not take your young children to see this movie. It will mess them up. I think it yeah. messed me up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I, I went into this not knowing anything about it other than that the original title and what is the actual Japanese title is "How Do You Live." With a question mark, mm-hmm. um, which it sounds the like phrase does accusation to me. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the title of a 1930s yes. book that, that appears yeah. in the movie, right? That yes. appears in the Bre- yeah. very briefly, very, like, very briefly, seven here, frames. Here is a book. <laughs> it's My um, left me. the. I mean the the movie itself is a very deep, surrealistic, phenomenological look at mortality, and it it go it, it lets your mind wander into some. Um, very serious places as fanciful as some of the things that are happening on screen are as oh, yeah. absurd as some of the things that are happening on screen are um, it, it incorporates things vibes from various of the movies like the the stylistic difference right there toward the beginning of the film that you guys mentioned reminded me of um, th- there's a there's a four part documentary series that NHK uh, Japan did called 10 years with Hayao Miyazaki and the episode that focuses on Ponyo has him just like delighting in like playing with pastels and watercolors and 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 realizing that he doesn't have to stress himself out as much and he can get a little wilder and weirder with the way that he he made that movie look and this this different sort of wispy magic-y kind of stuff that we get toward the beginning feels like him indulging in a little bit of that, but he like his, his reflex is to go into restraint where Isao Takahata who did um, grave of the fireflies and tale of princess Kaguya and was the other of the, of the two big figureheads of Ghibli. Um, he was the one who, played with weirder visual style stuff much more than Miyazaki has. Um, and it, it, it almost, if anything felt like something of a tribute to him, um, Hmm. in, 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 in a sort of, 
uh, respect. Like they were, they were very collegial. They, they respected each other a great deal. Their styles and where their heads were at and what was important to both of them uh, was never directly aligned, but Hey, they, they uh, between the two of them got all the bills paid and between the two of them, Miyazaki made way more movies. Um, But between the two of them, Takahata really won the most depressing uh, derby um, (laughs) with grave of the fireflies. And this this one goes further onto that side of things than I think um, we can say Miyazaki ever has. Um, I I loved it, but also it was a lot. And I, a, I saw it, it twice. I saw it in Japanese and then I saw the English dub. Um, and I think one of the things I found most impressive was this this amazing Odyssey-like journey um, in which Christian Bale's accent jumped multiple continents. Um, yeah, we'll we'll talk about the dub later. But uh, yeah, Oof. but but uh, but yeah, that that aside, uh, as a joke, there's uh, you know, um, there it goes to some interesting places that is not in any way the kind of by the numbers, um, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get get on with living kind of thing, um. You know, there are bits where, you know, certain things are italicized and highlighted, maybe, but not quite underlined about what you're meant to take away from different things. But uh, it's an interesting coda to some of those early young childhood stories that that he is best known for telling. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it, uh, describing it as a dark Totoro, and I, I mean that very specifically because Totoro, in my in my sort of headcanon interpretation of that movie, is these kids are dealing with an absent mother. She's ill. She's not dead at this point. Uh, but like, how how does a young child deal with that? And one way these children can deal with it is these fantastical visions of Totoro and the adventures they go on, and whether they're real or not, it's in the background of everything they're doing. Like it it affects their lives. They're trying to just live their lives, but there's this there's this thing over their head, which is where's mom? Is mom going to be okay? And that manifests in the movie in these fantastical, sometimes scary things, and in informs every experience in their life. This movie. He's got a, a mother who's actually dead. And how does that loss manifest? And it manifests, I'm not going to say in a more realistic way, because every person deals with things in a different way. But this boy is a little bit older and a little bit darker. And it, it's there. He's, you know, he goes, he meets the new mom, which is never a great experience. And he sees dad kissing the new mom. Right. Yeah. And who happens to also upsetting. be his aunt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We it's, should it's, just gloss over sister, that. Right. Mom's sister. And she says, I'm your new mom. And there's a line that's like, she looks just like her. I'm like, oh, yeah. boy. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 oh, they boy. skipped over the scenes where the dad picked up the uh, the the sister that quickly. We're not quite sure how that went down. Mm, but, yeah. but, you know, he's he's a, he's in the country because they had to leave. And uh, they had to leave the city. And he goes to the new school. And he's the rich kid. And his dad doesn't understand that showing up in the car is not the move. And all the kids <laughs> hate him. And they beat him up, and and basically you're like, okay, this this, this kid is having a tough time. His mom is dead, or whatever. Then he picks up that rock, and this movie takes a turn. Yep. And he hits himself in the head with the rock, and I'm like, self harm is not where I thought uh, these Miyazaki movies would go. Nope. But it is like a a realistic depiction of a boy who is dealing. How much is he dealing with? His mom dies. His dad gets remarried. He moves from where he's familiar. He's in a new school where nobody likes him. Immediately gets bullied. bullied. Like, like this is where that leads. Realistically, this is is where that leads. And this uh, paints this movie as much darker way of like, he's not envisioning Totoro. He's dealing with this in the slightly less fantastical way 
other than being menaced by the harem when he shows up, yeah, well, right, right, right I mean, here, it's like the, the toner are like, "Yay! Oh, we're so cute! Here we are!" And the, instead, there's this heron that's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna fly in, I'm right. gonna poop all, all in your room, I'm gonna fly all around, I'm gonna give you the eye, I'm Sometimes gonna shout things giant at you." Lordy nose is going to be visible yeah, peeking okay. out of my beak. It's a body horror angle that, uh, like, uh, is it? who's the who's the big body horror guy? Not not Clive Barker, but the other Cronenberg. <laughs> There you David go, Cronenberg. Cronenberg it's yeah. a Cronenberg angle to that, which and it's and like and it just escalates from there, where you get the chorus of fish and the the, yep. the toads, toads crawling over his toads. body, and it is Suit such of a toads. <laughs> yes, it is. It is a, such a sort of Miyazaki fantastical manifesta- manifestation of extreme depression, misery, and self harm. Like it's all the same stuff as Totoro, but like turn the darkness style mm-hmm. all the way up. Yeah. But now do the Totoro stuff. And so yes, the, the toads are crawling over his body and the fish are singing and the heron is telling him I, I was I forget what she was even saying, it was almost in the movie I was like, Your presence you is your requested. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like so And the, the fro and the frogs are chanting, Join us, join us, join us, like a Todd <laughs> Browning movie yeah. from nineteen thirty two. And it is not, it is not played for laughs and it is not like, uh, you know, oh, isn't this, because Totoro had, had the under, undertone of menace because he's a little bit scared, but the kids were so much younger that still their sort of beauty and innocence and their, their, you know, they're basically their, their eternal hope and not realizing that their mother, you know, could die. They couldn't even envision it, but he is old enough to, and his mother did actually die that his thoughts all go in a much darker direction. And that, and that is shown on the screen. And it is, I was like. Yeah, that's why I was watching. So this cannot be rated G. Do not take children to see this movie. <laughs> I found it very affecting, and sad, and scary. And I didn't know where the movie was going to go from there. And it sort of goes in a normal Miyazaki direction. But I feel like that the tone <laughs> setting was there from the beginning. And they never really deviated from it, which is that uh, sometimes bad things happen, and you feel bad about them, and. You just have to keep going. There is a perfectly reasonable reading of this movie that says that at the 20 minute point, uh, everything beyond that is just the boy hallucinating because he's caused himself severe brain damage with a rock. He's bled <laughs> a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. When he's floating in the water and all that stuff. And, you know, it, it's just, I mean, even from the point he gets to this house, like his state of mind, the fact that the bird flies around, the bird seems menacing. Like it's very sort of, again, Arietti style, mostly realistic aside from the small people. Like I'm in a new place. And of course the big bird looks menacing to me, but the bird's not actually menacing. No, the bird is totally menacing. It's terrifying. I mean, this is very dark fairy tale. It's very dark fairy tale and isn't trying to be a movie for kids and was never trying to be a movie for kids and assuming that just because it's an animated movie with a young protagonist means it's a kid's movie is is where many people go wrong uh going yeah let's get this uh this animated movie from japan for the kids i'm sure they'll love it uh what's this tentacle monster on the back of it yeah Yeah. Um, it's very very broadly drawn like the old ladies who were there taking care of the house and everything they are very sort of broadly drawn comic characters with with features that are not sized they're not realistic they're small with giant heads right that's the which i we've seen them Mm -hmm. in other miyazaki movies too but we we get them here it is i don't know i I was having taken this journey where we've watched all the Miyazaki movies. I I was checking the boxes of like World War II trauma, missing mm-hmm. mother, taken to the countryside from the city. I'm like, oh boy, right here, Na- here we nature go. Nature is the enemy. Nature yeah. is is very important and beautiful, but also somewhat threatening, especially to children. 
Um, we only get some plain pieces, which is which Jason. Is we're gonna spin the greatest hits of all the tough it, stuff it, in young oh, no, life. It's even more specific stuff. So the prehistoric fish, straight out of Ponyo, right? That gets gutted later. Mm. The the, wa- the Wara Wara things. Those are Kodamas. Those are basically uh, Kodamas plus Adipose yeah. equals Wara Wara. Yeah, they're they're, they're Adipose, right? Uh, right. Um, the dark silhouetted ghost people. We saw them on the train and Spirited Away. Right. Like. Just there's oh, yeah. a lot of uh, and and that's that's the thing about this movie. There's a lot of stuff you're like, oh, I'm familiar with this from previous Miyazaki movies, but none of those movies had a tone that so, was like this one. I think it's fascinating that he made this movie, and and it may be his last movie. We don't know. He says he's working on other things. He's a very, he's an old man, but you can't stop him. I mean, you can't stop him. He's gonna keep, he's gonna try to keep making movies. The, I mean, yeah. they sold stop. Studio Ghibli, but that doesn't mean that he has to be done making movies. It, yeah. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook, with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. So what what struck me about it is, is it is a Miyazaki movie through and through. It really is. But it is an old man doing the what was it, the Peter Gabriel song digging in the dirt right like he is he is processing his life and and how do you live uh, the japanese title and the book that's referenced in it he in some ways what he's doing is sort of like thinking about and this these are deep thoughts and they are dark thoughts about sort of his life and 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 revisiting it yet another time and the wind rises what revisited aspects of his life and the life of Japan in the 20th century from a from a kind of a more straightforward angle, whereas this is the fanciful uh, Miyazaki, but it is still a, an old man thinking about the meaning of life, and 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 it, it carries that weight throughout, which is why it is it is like John said, a dark Totoro is that it's the same themes that he was weaving into his work back then, but now he's thinking about it in a more serious way. And I think that's really interesting. Whilst I should also say, in addition to the bird poop, I mean, it's a funny movie that, that that moment where the where the um the heron goes into the top window of the tower, the dilapidated tower that's, that's on great. and kind of like <laughs> wiggles in and like pops in. Oh man, that was so good. With, with a so with, funny. A, with a real uh, like a pronounced thump. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just a, it's a comedy moment of a harbinger of death slash. You know, I mean, but also funny at the same time. Which is and those toads, which it's like hilarious, but also really menacing. And that is a theme that kind of keeps coming throughout the movie. It, when Mahito, our main character, you know, he he right. It is he loses his mother, like Bambi. You know, classic cartoon thing, but like... Oh, and I, I forgot there is another one of the sort of painterly fire scenes when he's having a, a dream on his bed, which, by the way, propellers on the cover is more aviation themes, aviation, of course. course. Then they Check. go back to that painterly style and they literally show his mother on fire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is not a rating G movie. Yeah, yeah. His his mother of fire spirit. Yeah, no, they they show they show his regular adult mother on fire yeah. with her arms out and then she transforms yeah. into Himi later. His new proxy mother who's pregnant with his forthcoming sibling. Um, I, I 
think if you read the plot correctly, she decides to walk off in the woods um, and doesn't come back. And I'm like, that's also a little bit dark like a little bit it, dark real dark. Well, she's, uh, she's, real dark she's she's been ill before and like this like so this you mentioned jason that the miyazaki is revisiting other themes processing them in a more adult way and I, yeah. I have to think that part of it really has to do with uh whether whether he chose the protagonist for this or vice versa the, the fact that the protagonist in this movie is an older boy and this i feel like is how a boy of that age would process this as opposed to may and satsuki in totoro especially from may's perspective she's much younger and satsuki's still kind of in that mindset with her this boy is older and his mother did actually die in in a fairly dramatic fashion with him there and yeah. that sort of informs how this movie goes because most of his movies either involve people who are younger or they are like Nausicaa where it's someone who's actually older than this main character, but in a sort of straightforward plot driven, you know, adventure movie setting where it's mostly like there's an enemy and there's a plot and there's conflict and stuff like this. Whereas this is more just like, you know, how do you live? Deal, deal with your stuff. Uh, kid version informed by uh, Miyazaki magical reality. This is the Miyazaki movie that you watch it as a tween or an early teen and it convinces you, yeah, go ahead and buy those My Chemical Romance albums. You know, yeah. now now might be the time um, yeah. I, th there's there's something to like th this being the culmination of a lot of stuff that we've been kind of hovering around. I want to address the notion of of homework. Is there stuff that you need to see before you've seen this? I, I think you can see this without seeing any of Miyazaki's other movies. Sure. But as I think our conversation is already reflected, if you've seen all of his stuff, this is very much the into or across the Miyazaki verse assemblage of all of the themes, all of the stuff that interests him the most um, with a shocking amount of um, of restraint when it comes to planes. Maybe a little bit too much stuff, because if we go through and start catalog, I know we just catalog a bunch of it, but there's so much stuff so in this movie. Much. It, it is. Too, there's too much stuff in this movie. This yeah. kind of reminds yeah. me of, speaking of the documentaries yeah. like 10 Years of Miyazaki, there's a bunch of documentaries, uh, you know, Kingdoms of Dreams and Madness and whatever that other one is that I can't remember. Um, uh, Never Ending Man. Yeah, there you go. Um, in those, I my recollection is that they either say outright or give a very strong uh, implication that... They begin animating these movies from the movies they were showing before he has any idea how they're going to end. This is like the opposite of the Pixar system where they storyboard it and go over it and over it and over it until they get a movie before anyone does a finished frame of animation. This is like, well, no, these things take years and we're going to start animating. And it's like, yeah, nobody knows how this is going to end because Miyazaki, Mr. Miyazaki has not yet figured that out yet. And he's literally making it up as he goes along. And I'm going to say that's not a great way to tell, <laughs> tell a story. And if you know, and sometimes it works for him because he's a genius and sometimes it doesn't. And this movie looks kind of like one of those ones where like it, it feels <laughs> like it's making it up as it goes along because it's got so much stuff in it. It's got this theme and through line, but just just the catalog of stuff that is in this movie that is there for a brief period. It's like that's three other movies. You John can't. <laughs> One day he woke up and had a vision of parakeets and that vision of parakeets would not leave. <laughs> and he's bringing in new stuff that he hasn't done before, like a Stephen King it like, oh, yeah, it's an alien artifact and it landed yeah. and we built this thing around it. And there's a malevolent force and there's blocks. Right. There's like, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. Yeah, like, there's a, there's and there's like a, there's a floating dream meteor. world. Yeah. And, and there's, there's a dark there's tower. A, the, the, <laughs> yeah, there's the doors you can go in and out of. And there's the different time. And right. the, dad makes canopies for airplanes. that aren't they realistic? There's the old ladies and one of the old. It's like just there's, there's, there's so much stuff there's in this movie. 
There's... I agree with you, John. And, and I would say that um, if I had a, a primary criticism of this movie, it's that when you're doing stuff like that in something like Spirited Away, where the whole thing is just so cuckoo that it's just like but, at but some Spirited point, Spirited Away go, okay, is he's... so focused in comparison. So focused compared well, to this. Well, that's true too. That's true too. But also, I mean, when, when he's throwing all sorts of crazy stuff at you left and right that you're like, oh, well, that's weird. Uh, in Spirited Away, like from the very beginning, it's like, okay, my parents are pigs now and now I'm going on an and, adventure. And we're going to be at the bathhouse and the bathhouse is weird, but that's where you are. Whereas this is like real weird stuff, but it's it seems like it's it's in service of a more standard narrative. Like the first 20 minutes of it, I thought, I, I honestly thought maybe we're going to get one of these standard narrative films and then it right. went off the deep end. Yeah. And, and so when when I watched the second time, went back to, to, to watch the subtitle versions, and I kept running into these things like, oh my gosh, I forgot that was in there. That never pays off in any way. <laughs> nope. That makes no yeah. sense to the narrative. That has nothing to do with it. And, and and your mind is like working because this narrative is back there and it's clearly the through line. But then you're like, well, then why is that here? And and what what is the point of this big rock? And and what's with the tower of blocks? <laughs> yeah, and why, yeah. why and do the, some and of the them have malice and some of them don't? The kingdom. And don't forget about the pelicans, the, the old pelican, right. how they oh, got yeah. there. Pelicans. And like, even the things yeah. they do pay off, it's like, there are elements so of the poop. story that do not need right. to be in this movie at all. And they're fanciful and beautifully drawn, but they're so brief and there's just so much stuff well, packed the, in there. You, you say that they don't need to be there, but to me, th that's, that's part of what I like about it is that there's there's stuff thrown in that we don't need the full Wikipedia knowledge of everything that's connected to it. And and that isn't even the point. Like it's literally thrown in there as a distraction, as weird stuff happening in quantum space while this kid is, you know, on the verge of dying from a brain hemorrhage. Um, <laughs> well, well, to that to that point about things being in there. So a lot of this movie, I mean, a lot of what I took away from Boy, the movie, and I didn't are it, those it did things affect, in there, John? They yeah. those things are in there. <laughs> yeah, it did, it, it did affect me pretty pretty deeply, and I think a lot of the stuff that really worked for me is the dreamlike stuff. There's dreamlike stuff in tons of Miyazaki movies, but so many of the things depicted in this movie. Um, even if they don't work as part of the plot and they just feel like they're pulled from either past Miyazaki movies or other random places, they very often did work in isolation as dreamlike things. And the list for everyone is probably going to be different, but I think the being covered in toads, the, the chorus of fish, uh, not being able to fit through the archway. Remember when he's trying to go, go up the stairs and it leads to an archway right. that he can't quite fit through. Uh, Kariko's boat being inundated with water and waves and getting it out through there. There's so much in the stuff in, in this movie that reminds me of dreams I've had or like, because dreams don't make any sense. It's like, oh, well, I was in stairs and there was an archway and I couldn't yeah. quite fit through it and it was frustrating. And the one with the boat filling with water, I think I've had that literally had that dream. That's not a plot point in this thing. That's just like, oh, uh, she gets back in the boat and the waves are coming and it's filling the boat and he has to help her out. Like, that's not an important part of this movie. But so much in this movie is dreamlike in that way, in the way the dreams do not make any sense and include stuff from that would be cut from a movie narrative. You know what I mean? And And so, like, the Pelicans, I feel like, or just from another Miyazaki movie, because it's like, yeah, well, you need, there's nobody bad in the world. Everybody has their reasons. These pelicans are just trying to, uh, you know, they're 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 starving to death, so they have to eat the future babies because it's the only way that they can live. And the, the guts. Imagine, but just like, just so much is dreamlike in this movie. Imagine that, for for people who are listening to this podcast who have not seen the movie, you just said the pelicans have to eat the future the, babies, and it's just like that is so, so it's the it, that is the moment in the movie also where I felt like it was to me the most weird Miyazaki, which is 
there, there's a moment where they're like, oh yeah, well they, they, uh, they're, they're going to be babies later. Uh, but they're, they, we gotta, we gotta feed them cause they're going to be babies later. And I had that moment where I'm like, well, of course, uh, you have like, to feed them the it, fish guts, the it, prehistoric it, fish guts. Right. Is what you have to feed them. But <laughs> it said in such a matter of fact way, like, well, you know, we feed them the fish guts because they're going to be babies later. Yeah, just and, like and it would like, in a dream, what? it would make perfect <laughs> sense. And, 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 and again, the dreamlike part would be like struggling to disembowel the fish. Like, I don't know if it's just the dreams that I have, but I'm struggling to do a thing that on its face makes no sense. But the main focus oh. of the dream is the feeling of like trying to get the water out of the boat or not being able uh, to fit through the archway can, or being covered in toads. You mentioned the fish. Can I say that animation of the organs popping out of the giant <laughs> fish is one of the, is legitimately, and I, I, I am not kidding, one of the most amazing pieces of animation I have yep. ever seen. Is it gross? It's incredible. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess because it's fish guts, but it's animated fish guts, so who cares? But it is so detailed and and so unexpected and weird and funny because he's and, like, and, Whoa. And, and it's plussed a little Whoa. bit. Like it is not, it is not straightforward realistic. It is a little bit of Miyazaki oh, yeah, style extra, slight it's exaggeration, giant fish you know? with yeah, giant it, guts. It, it, it reminded me a bit of like the mutational stuff in Akira. But like Jason, yeah. of all the things that you anticipated going in, did you? in any way possibly imagine holding forth about the visual splendor of fish guts a fish guts no well no or boot or bird poop honestly and then we haven't even got to the point i mean we mentioned it earlier there there is a the the pelicans want to eat the little adipose <laughs> bubble people who are going to become babies they're like the unborn yeah, kodama slash spirits adipose, of babies let's, let's not totally yeah, doctor that's, they're that's fair well it's pretty close though uh, they're little bubble little bubble spirits that are flying up there and then they're like oh no we got to stop them and it's like we will we we're, we're gonna we're gonna do a lot of fire Granted, it will kill many of the Wara Wara, <laughs> right, but, but some of them will babies. survive. I'm like, oh my God, what is this movie? Oh. Some future babies must be sacrificed to the fire. So it's that more babies can live. I yeah, mean, I and, get and it. Like, and, if you, and if you try Dark. to think about this in a non-dreamlike way, you're like, okay, well, Woo. this, okay, so th they're in the weird uh, meteor world that the grand uncle went to, and he's bad at maintaining it and wants <laughs> someone to take it. But like, it's like, you can't piece it together. There is no, there is no, no. there is no solution no. to this puzzle other than it is very dreamlike. And there, there's a propelling force, like. During the, during the movie, I feel like that it never loses a thread in that kind of like spirited away. There's always something Mihito wants to do. He's trying to find his his you know new mom and save her, and he's aided by his actual mom and the childhood version. Like there is a through line, there is motivation. There are things that they're doing, and they encounter this weirdness, and they don't understand it either, and they just have to deal with it. But there is a lot of machinery, and so yeah, when the, when the when the babies are floating up there and people are talking about it in a matter of fact way, and he's he's sleeping under the table with tiny dolls of people, and you're just like, oh, okay, right, I guess, right, the little totem <laughs> dolls of the of the old ladies that happens too, which is uh, which is very strange. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Afterward, we were talking about my family and I as we were driving home. You know, my son said immediately, he's like, oh, well, it's it's so autobiographical. Um, and I said... Unlike his other movies, which aren't well, also the exact same well, Which are the same. And well, that, and that's what I said to him is, yes, it is autobiographical. 
who's the old wizard? Well, it's Miyazaki. Who's the boy? Also Miyazaki, also right? Like Miyazaki, I mean, yeah. it's all Miyazaki. There are some beautiful things thematically at the end of the movie that I think are the, a message from Miyazaki, the old man who is getting closer to death and wants to send a message uh, to everybody who watches his movies. Uh, I I do think that that's there, but like he's also just plumbing the depths from every direction of his mind and and the open so. So they go. He goes into the tower, and and there is a wizard, and and they he, he enters, and there's doors, and he enters like another universe, essentially, where oh, all these weird the things are happening. Decoy mom made of water, another thing straight right, out of a dream, right? Which is, I mean, she might as well be like one of those cakes that's made up to look like, look like something <laughs> yeah. else. It's basically what she is. She's was, like my a, mom was there, but she was cake. made of water. <laughs> exactly. She looked just like my mom, but she was actually and made of water. And she melted and dripped across the floor and almost got my foot, but I was able to step away just in time. Just in time. It is it is weird, but but I would say. I think you can say it's a weakness or you can say that it's just extra Miyazaki goodness. And I think both of those viewpoints are valid is when you enter that world where there's like a pirate lady and there's, (laughs) and there's the floating little cute things that are going to be, going to be babies and there's pelicans and there's all Uh, sorts of, there's the parakeets who want to eat you and there's knives behind their back. A kingdom of parakeets, and the parakeets are hilarious. Like, seriously, there is another movie made by a much more commercial filmmaker who's mm-hmm. like, I'm doing a whole movie about a kingdom of parakeets, and they're adorable. But, but, they, but they, s- probably, uh, they probably don't eat kids and have knives behind their back not, as they escort you in. The more commercial movie. version isn't like that, but uh, this version is not that version. So what, or, what I wanted to say wink is- wink their future prey mm-hmm. as they're sharpening their knives yeah. <laughs> for a whetstone. What, what I wanted to say is is- this is this universe it feels like a universe like it's a fantasy dream universe where literally ev- anything could happen and and if there's a moment where again not that the individual moments aren't brilliant but i got the feeling watching it that there is there that the movie loses momentum during this period cuz there's so much and in hindsight yes if you watch it a second time you're like this is unnecessary. Doesn't mean it's not cool or interesting, but that it, it, it's it's sort of overflowing. And some of this stuff is sort of you, you got to Is it too much? Is it too like it's like eating a dessert and being like, oh, this is too rich. It's like, well, yeah, but that, it's that a dessert. Like it's a supposed side, to be a rich, right? Of the like making it up as you go along. Like if he's storyboarding this and he did like he's doing these storyboards and he's doing them over the course of months and it's like you know a year and a half in and he gets to the parakeets. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, you know what? I should lighten it up with a little bit of humor and these should yeah. be fun because to him it's six months have passed and it's like, no, you're you're forty minutes it's into like, the movie, dude. Or it's like, like do it's we been... need the do we need the wara wara? And it's like, what do you mean? We already animated that part. It's great. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> But do you need it? It's like we're not going to yeah, even talk it, about like, that, okay? You can just see, you can just see in his mind, like or anybody's mind, you're like, this is a cool, interesting idea, idea, and we should do this. And he never really has the there. the big picture. Like it, it only it kind of amazes me when I look back at the movies of his that are conventional plot structures, like uh, you know, Nausicaa, Princess Mononoke, uh, uh, Castle in the Sky, that that essentially have stories that make some kind of coherent sense it's like those are kind of miracles because he's so driven by by what seems right to him in the moment and that's the magic of the movie is when you're watching it you're like this does feel right and good in the moment but then you step back and you're like but in in the pixar style let's put all the storyboards on the wall for a year this doesn't stay in the movie but as a 
as a pure filmmaker, we, in some ways, he is defined by the fact that these individual bits are brilliant. And we sometimes go along with the fact that they meander or they or, or, or they don't really follow an, a natural or, or structure. Or sometimes that's the beauty of it. Like in Kiki, that's the whole point of that movie. It is right. a series of vignettes that, right. that build to a whole, but each individual vignette just needs to be good in and of itself. But this thing is structurally completely different from all of those movies. And as much as like trying to hold it to <laughs> yeah. the coherent standard of something that is built to be a conventional narrative, it doesn't make sense. Like I, to me, like this thing from 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 the outset, from what we know, he was coming at it from the perspective of this is going to be this is going to be a very different kind of a thing. And it is said that dreams are the result of just like the the junk in our brain working its way out. It's not going to be coherent that it is coherent for minutes at a time is is a, a blessing um, to try to mimic dreams. Many people have tried making films that are that sort of like free associating thing, but they have too much order to them. And to me, the genius of this movie is that he managed to make it dreamlike enough that that there's loads of internal logic stuff that doesn't matter because it can't matter because of the kind of story that is being told. Like there are certain things that need to be floating around in the background and they float into the foreground at different times. But once once we go into this other place, um, none of the none of the rules of conventional narrative need to apply. And so the the super, super loose Let's work it out, throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks and then restart from scratch over and over over the course of many years. Very laboriously ends up actually working because now it's like, oh, there was this really crazy parakeet thing that I wanted to do in this one movie. Didn't make any sense. You know what? It makes sense in this movie that doesn't make any sense in various places <laughs> because it's supposed to not make sense. Yeah, I feel like this movie feels the parts of this movie that dream like feel more like a dream than, for example, something like Paprika, right? Which is more straightforwardly dream. Right. Or like think of like Inception or like sort of the 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 westernized idea of a dream. I know it's Paprika is not a western movie, but like that there is that it is a dream world and it has its own logic or whatever. And it's like, but but dreams are for me anyway are so much more about the feeling and the scenes in this movie that are dreamlike, I feel the the emotion that you feel in a dream when doing something that in hindsight is absurd. And that feeling is conveyed by those scenes. I feel like when you get to the parakeet stuff, it pulls me out of dreamlike and back into, I don't know, the cat returns, right? Uh, Whisper of the heart type of like, oh, fantastical weird things or whatever. But in general, uh, it's like a it's like a, an aside. And that can be an aspect of dreams as well. But it feels less less adult dreamlike to me. Um, and you know, the, the contrast with spirited away is, uh, even though that is a weird world, it never feels dreamlike. It feels more like you are in a weird place that you don't understand. And it's a fish out of water story and there's magic, but it is not, not dreamlike in the upsetting adult dream kind of way. Cause I find that, you know, basically from, from the point I can remember dreams onward, even though they're not nightmares, dreams are always a little bit upsetting. Like it's very rare that something happens in a dream that, that is entirely benign or good, at least in my dreams, it's always kind of like when you look back on it in hindsight, you're like, I felt weird during that part, or I felt anxious, or I was trying to do something and couldn't quite get it done. And it wasn't a nightmare and I wasn't upset and I wasn't scared, but it was upsetting in some way. And the best dream like parts of this movie are like that. 
Uh, but there is an interlude in the middle where they're in a fantastical alien meteor world trying to accomplish a goal, which is to find his new mom. Yeah. And maybe the mixing and matching is something that strikes me about it is that it, it, it's it's a little bit of both of those things. Right. And and you either decide, uh, I mean, because, OK, so now I'm Miyazaki's editor and that person doesn't exist. Right. But what, but let's <laughs> no. or and if they do exist, he doesn't listen to them. So it doesn't matter. They might as well just go home. So. If I am Miyazaki's editor and I look at this, I am of two minds, right? One is, let's cut the stuff that doesn't matter for the through line of the story. But that's a mistake because some of the most brilliant stuff is this kind of wild stuff that maybe it doesn't matter, maybe it meanders. And I can see both sides, right? Because there are moments, I, I will say... I think there are moments in the fantastical world where the story drags a little bit, where where I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. all right, but what what about this other thing? And it's like part of that is my screenplay movie brain saying, wait a second, what about the plot? Uh, but also and, and part all, of it also, is it kind of it it is kind of slow for a little while, but, and you're but, like, but here's the thing: you can wrap around, especially in a Miyazaki movie, if they had lingered longer it's on true. those things it's to, true. to make it to make you sort of to bed in one of them. For example, if he had gotten into a homey kind of life with uh, Kariko and sleeping under the table, and you know, settled into his new world or whatever, that could have found that Miyazaki feeling of like, oh, it's interesting, cozy escape into this strange world. But no, they were never there long enough. So you That's either true. like they 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 glance off them or but pirate it, adventures that would have been fun. Yeah, exactly. Like you could because I love those characters. I loved everything about that. But we were never with any of them for a long enough period of time. I, for me, I, I felt like the first part of the movie was the part where I was like the pacing felt a little slow because I'm like oh, this is going to be one of those very sure. slow, gentle, depressing movies. And once they got into the fantastical world, I was able to be swept along with it. Almost entirely up until the very end when you start dealing with those blocks. I'm like, okay, you've gone a step too those far. Those do come, but, kind yeah. of come out of nowhere, don't they? Where it's like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, especially since that is the key through line of the fantastical plot. It's like, oh, there's the grand uncle and there's the tower. Mahito, the I am glad you are here. I am the wizard. Now, what do you know about Jenga? <laughs> like, yeah, uh, right. And you have to take over this world. I want you, you to take over, but you stole fizzy lifting drinks. So yeah, I had oh. to and my blocks have malice in them, but but you see, I you know, and like Kariko has a scar what? on the side of her head, and his yep. blocks have malice. But he says there's malice in me, and I have to take and over he, this. And, 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 and the he's, thing is, he's ha- he's having trouble making sense of somebody else's dreamscape you, that somebody you, else built for and, themselves. And, and, the, and you the almost wanted to be him. You almost wanted to make less sense, right? You almost wanted to make yeah. it, have it be more dreamlike. But when you impose this, like, oh no, now we have a mechanism where I need you to be my uh, my heir, and I've set up the blocks, and and I understand why that's happening thematically but it is kind sort of, like, of well, wait a kind second, of understand but like they didn't like that was they tried to weave that in early in the movie that the tower exists and the uncle was there whatever but i cared right. so much more about him and his new mother mm-hmm. at that point and, and remember during yeah. this entire time the parrot king is chasing him i'm like the parrot king plot really we're parrot, still he's right. the, the king is, is on their trail which is which is kind of great i love those shots where he's lurking in the background and stuff <laughs> it's like it's what, awesome does he know it's like does he know a what bird part of the is trying to kill you <laughs> And then he ru- he's, he runs over the, the heron. You think he's going to kill the heron, but he just stomps on him and runs and he cuts the blocks in half because he can't get them to balance and the whole world falls Again, apart. It it's turns like, out the heron, not the villain, the wacky sidekick. The heron is the wacky sidekick. Well, uh, the, yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the terrifying is the wacky villain. Side. I think I he have is. nightmares about that heron. He is terrifying. He's constantly like a vomiting a mascot. human from his mouth. Yeah, yeah. The Mahito is trying to make sense of things is never the focus of things. And I like that because how could he hope 
to try to make sense of this weirdo fantasy scape that mostly came from the mind of his granduncle um, that, you know, shuffles around in a cape that's got, you know, bejeweled fittings on it and is is only focused on his version of fourth dimensional Tetris. Um, it is it is I, weird that you've got the simultaneity of he is looking for his adoptive mother, who is his aunt, who's going who's pregnant with his his future sibling. He's also talking to and and adventuring with his actual mother who has died. But this is her when she's younger, because time travel through doors uh-huh. is a thing that is happening. And 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 it's true. That dynamic is really interesting. And then there's this other part. It is, I mean, I read somewhere that Miyazaki halfway through filming changed his mind about what the focus of the movie was going to be. Um, he and, changed and, his mind a lot, seven times and, maybe. And yeah. I read I read it and, and <laughs> I, I was think, like, I think, oh. I think you could read that about every single one of his films. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, in this case, I think it was that he was, the uncle was meant to represent one of his longtime collaborators who died yeah, it, was, it was it was takahata but then he changed it to be more like suzuki but then yeah just, and then suzuki died right and and then and he was no, like Taka, takahata died, oh, no, takahata right? died. Takahata so he's like, died. i can't i can't i can't do that anymore i'm gonna make it more about this other thing and it's like what do you mean you can't do it anymore and, and the other part of the movie had already been animated so yeah, it's like just keep going already. so so it is it is like two different things that are pulling at each other and 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 it is very strange and i think like i like okay I love when we were in the car driving home after this, I said, the wizard is Miyazaki, but the beauty of it is, and and this is one of those ways where one of the things I love about Miyazaki is I have expectations about how movies are going to work. And he's like, nah, they're not going to work that way. And, and in this case, we have the wizard and he's like, Mojito, you get to take over. I have to go. Uh, you know, I'm an old man. You get to take over my fantasy world. And all you got to do is follow my rules, but you can do whatever you want. But these blocks, and, you know, you and have Mahito's to. And like, I can do whatever I want. I still don't care about any of that. Yeah. So <laughs> this is, this is, this is the thing that I think is uh, thinking about afterward. I actually think is beautiful. And, and actually I really do believe this is the message of the movie more than any other is this is a movie by an old man who is a master and he's saying, do you want to take over my legacy or make one of your own? And he's saying, don't take over my legacy. I built what I built, but you don't want to be <laughs> And I'm me. barely holding it together. Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't <laughs> want to be me. The blocks are filled with malice, Steve. This is all falling <laughs> that apart. That was the problem all along. Don't I... take over for me. Be your own person. And I do think that that is his his kind of ultimate message here is, is if it's me starting out or or you starting out, don't just assume the the mantle of this crazy old wizard right like just let, let the parakeet cut it in half and flee yeah like get out of there and make your <laughs> yeah. own and blaze your own trails and i do think that that is what he's trying to say here and i do think it's kind of beautiful right because you could reach this pinnacle and say ah oh, yes what shall i impart to the world in my wise state here at the end of my life and he's like okay i got something for you don't follow in my path do your own thing my path is done. I did it. It's 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 over. And also, you'd never come up with anything as ridiculous as this anyway. So don't no, even try. Don't yeah. even try. If, if, if you watch any of the documentary stuff involving his son Goro, like mm. th- this movie, this movie is to some like he wouldn't make an entire movie that's like you know a letter to his son, but to an extent, like a, a bit of that is in here um, because him trying to watch his his son 
follow in his footsteps and make movies at the studio he co-founded in the way that he made them just made him twist. It it was deeply unpleasant for him to try to hold his son to the, the kinds of standards that are why various heirs apparent to Miyazaki um, it just didn't work out. Well, uh, I mean, I think a lot of that, like, so he writes a lot of stuff that's autobiographical, but he never writes a movie about uh, someone who's a terrible father. And I think from what I've seen that he's not a great father. And so he, <laughs> that's a blind, that's a blind spot yeah. in his, yeah. his creative work is that he does not see himself or maybe he does, but he just doesn't want to put it on the screen. I, I agree that like being, it's like being John Lennon's kid, right? And you have to end up being a musician or whatever like this. There's only, there's only so well that can possibly go. So that's not a great situation, but the way he handled it as evidenced by the documentaries that we've seen is not great. <laughs> and this yeah. movie is a much better handling well, of it to like a much more massive gentle message. And the dad, you know, there, there's this, this uncle, this great uncle. Um, and then there's the kid, right? But the, there, there's a generation missing more or less in there because that's not mm-hmm. what this movie does not want to because well, it was be this time that. travel and it was the yes. meteor landed yeah. many generations the, ago, oh the yeah. meteor that that was a very funny yeah like oh yeah there's this there's a it's floating it's, uh, it's space. Right, straight out of stephen king i don't space, know yeah, the, the 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 best extant screen adaptation of dark tower mm. is maybe this movie well, I wouldn't go that far, but well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking it? It. like, like the, 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 the dark menace in the forest is actually an alien thing that humans have built stuff around and people get sucked into it. Who knew that the dark tower at the top, there was just a heron trying to pop in through a window. There's a guy, there guy playing Jenga, you know, through, for all that ridiculousness, though, I have to say that when the, the sort of the, the I was worried what was going to happen at the end of this movie, when the, when the mechanical plot sort of coheres and he makes a decision leaves the tower he he rescues his his new mom and uh kariko pops out of his pocket right. and the parakeet his actual mom like his wrecks, actual mom wrecks goes the block to, so the whole universe is going to be destroyed <laughs> right that whole thing is messed up that his own mom goes back and by the way i cannot tell like i don't think this is a miyazaki thing to do so it's probably just a coincidence but i like to think that it was like when when he tells her hey you know you die in a fire <laughs> like don't go back to your time i know how it ends for you you die in a fire Let's avoid that. And I think I again, I only saw this movie once, but I think she says something to the effect of I'm not afraid of fire. Yeah, fire doesn't bother me um, because she's a fire spirit or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, was that a play on a cold? Never bothered me anyway from Elsa. Uh, Probably not because Miyazaki's (laughs) probably never seen that movie. But she's like, look, look, I'm I'm literally a fire spirit. Fire doesn't bother me, which is such a Miyazaki thing to say for like a child version of someone who knows that she's going to die horribly in a fire. Yeah. Yeah. And she and she goes back to her door and they go back through their door. And like that is the culmination of the mechanical plot of this movie is that he he comes to accept his new mother. He has rescued her. He comes back from thing. And for all the ridiculous that this that came before it. I'm like, somehow, through all of that, I do actually care that, that he's back. I do care that he has mended the relationship with his mother. Mm-hmm. That dramatic scene with the paper on fire when she's in the bed and everything, that somehow worked for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I did actually care that they, it, even more, much more so, I would say, than Ponyo's weird ending with, uh, with the kid. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really on board with this. But <laughs> with this ending, I'm like, I'm glad they made it out. I'm yeah. happy the family is reunited. Yeah. I like the new mom. She was nice to him. She's doing the best she can in a devil's situation. I don't know how she got with her sister's husband. I'm but- so relieved <laughs> that the old lady 
whose doll just pops out of his pocket as the old <laughs> right. lady and again. She was, she was so cool. Well, the younger so, version of her was so cool that when she was on the boat, like mm-hmm. I, I loved all of those characters and I felt that he managed to make me feel for these people despite them being sketched out and most of them, like I don't care about the grand uncle. I don't really care about the parakeets, but the main characters in this movie, he managed to make me feel for them. So I was happy when they were reunited and I was almost mad at the movie at that point. I'm like, after what has happened, none of this makes any sense. Why am I happy that they're reunited? And right. I and I enjoy the the humor of the that was that's when the big bird poop comes. The birds, the parakeets are chasing after them. The birds pooping everybody. They're all reunited. Yay, we're all back together. Yeah, and that, so I, I don't know. It worked for me a, a couple times. The you know how did the dad get together with the sister so fast? It was in the middle of World War Two, and the guy's wife died, and family units stick together during times of war and, and time, also in times and, of mourning and there's a time jump right we we see yeah. him his yeah, mom we dies we and between, then later but... he moves to the countryside yeah, because a year, they're putting a year later there. according yeah. to yeah, the for, uh, yeah for the, the kid the for the film. kid it was a blip yeah. Yeah, exactly that's why like many most of me like movies are from the perspective of the young protagonist and here for him it doesn't matter how much time has passed he's super weirded out that like yeah. this is my new mom and why is dad kissing this lady and yeah it's yeah I mean, you, you mentioned the the not intentional parallel to to frozen with the fire thing visually one of my another one of my favorite things uh in the movie um is fire related and it's the bit where they they go through the the fire network into the hearth of her house in the dream world and that was so cool and as (laughs) i i'm of two minds about everything inside of the the realm of this movie where I applaud the lack of restraint and I applaud the restraint um, in so many respects. And I I applaud the restraint in us getting to see one of those jaunts through, um, you know, the series of fire tubes or whatever. And that didn't become the narrative of the whole movie the way that it would have in a Western movie Um, or even another Japanese movie from a different director. Um, We get those kinds of cool things and we get those moments of the cool buddy adventure with his mom's younger self, but that doesn't dominate the entire movie. And I, I, I kept wanting more of it, but by the end of the movie, I felt like I had gotten just enough of it to, to John's point to where I just really loved this character that I, you know, upon reflection, I didn't actually spend that much time with, but the time that I got really really made it work and kiriko i realized i had been missing younger kiriko when she showed back up right at the end of the movie and then i realized did i need her to have been along on all of this stuff i don't know that i needed her to and if she'd been along yeah she was fun but if she'd been along the whole time then there would have been so many more conventional narrative things that the movie would have been trying to do and having to do. And, and I, 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 I feel like I ended up getting just the right portions of all of these different pieces of things such that the parakeets were insufferable for a reason, but not so insufferable that I wish that they'd been deleted from the movie completely. It took me way too long to catch on to the fact that uh, the pattern on younger Kiriko's uh, shirt matched the one in older Kiriko's kimono. And, and, yeah, and for me to realize that. Don't, don't explain things like that to you. Like, oh, by the way, yeah. I don't know if you realize this, but this is the young version of that older yeah, woman. No. Yeah. I, I, but I agree with both of you that, that Mahito is I, I, similar to you, John. I, I really cared about the way it ended up. And I was super happy that it ended up in a positive way. I, I think... 
as a through line in a Miyazaki movie goes, this might be one of his strongest, if not the strongest. It, it, frequently, I just don't care about what's going on in the in the main plot of the film. And in this one, it was so well set up and, and the conventional narrative part that opened the film, uh, you know, was very meaningful and subtle. Um, and, and that I think is partly why I find some of the craziness that goes on to be kind of frustrating here more than I do in some of his other works, because I so much want some of these things to have something to do with that narrative. Like the fact that Kiriko has a matching scar. I mean, we talked about this after the movie. It's like, oh, she has one that's just like his. Why is that? What's the meaning behind that? No time, no time. And, and, and I just had to say, <laughs> you know, it. there probably isn't one. I know we really want to put this together and, and mm -hmm. have it make all sense and, and make it make it seem to, you know, to, 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 to ferret out the deeper meaning that was that was uh, in the creator's heart at, at, about that. But the fact is, he probably just thought it was cool. At the end of the movie, when the when the grand uncle says, you know, there's malice in these blocks, you have to start anew. And, and he points to his scar and says, but there's malice in me, too. And right. that I feel like that's the closest you're going to get to link back to say uh, everyone has their equivalent of the scar. Um, Kariko is literally a scar on the side of her head and the same thing, which is a little on the nose. But it's the darkness within him, because, again, he's a, a boy getting old enough to have a little bit of darkness. Sure. That part made sense. I, I'm not sure that that the, the parallel scar really well yeah but that, like that's, that's but... the thing that's a lot of things from his childlike perspective like things happen and you don't understand why and it might just be a coincidence or there might be some import but you, you like children will map on to things in importance that may or may not be there so if so, if you were a little kid and you had a scar in your head like that and you met an adult who also had a scar and they pointed to it that could be the end of that interaction but you're going to think about that and be like does that mean something? Am I like them? Are they like me? When in reality, it was just a stranger trying to say something nice to a kid to make them feel comfortable who coincidentally happened to have a scar. But right. of course, this is the, this is a dream magical world. And that is not just any person. It's the old lady he came in with who turned into a doll. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot sure. to take on. I just think that in this case, some of the dream magical stuff that, that makes no sense sits somewhat awkwardly aside the, the narrative. And, and I wish it fit together more. I, I know that's an impossible thing in a Miyazaki film. And that's just not what he's about. But... Uh, I mean, particularly on, is, the, though, on the second like, viewing, when I was watching some of this crazy stuff, I actually was a little bit bored for part of it just because this stuff is just meaningless. It's cool. It was fun to watch the first time. The second time, I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay, that happened. Yeah, there's a lot of chasing, like, it's, it, especially the stuff that's not dreamlike. So to give an example, we didn't had mentioned before the scene where he first lands in the dream world and there's this giant tomb looking thing and he essentially gets attacked by pelicans. Yes. Mm -hmm. and that is a long dramatic scene that has a dreamlike quality because it, you may never have been swarmed by pelicans but if you weren't afraid of pelicans you might be after watching that scene because it's very disturbing in a dreamlike matter also, where things happen in, in speaking dreams of dreams and, and dream rules they are birds who can fly but they are precluded from entering the graveyard by a gate and you might say to yourself well why don't they fly over the gate and the answer is because they can't get in unless the gate is open. There's well, no other answer. It doesn't. And then they go no, out was, and Jason, they close the gate. It's simpler than that. Uh, they don't. That's, that's they how don't. they. They yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the don't. answer, right? But it's dream logic, which is kind yeah. of interesting. In its, and they spent in so, so long on that scene of like, clearly some, it's like, was this animated by somebody who like Batman style was menaced by pelicans as a child and now <laughs> must become a pelican? Like, it was like that level of depth. And it's like, okay, the amount of time devoted to that 
that is I, when I see that, I'm like, okay, this doesn't advance our story or proceed on the emotional through line. It is essentially just a trial that he faces when first landing in the dream world. But it does have that dreamlike quality that is puts me in the state of mind of this kid who's in in a you know in a dark place and bad things are happening to him. Versus the other scenes where it's like, oh, we're running from the parrot kings uh, through through a thing, and my heron guy is helping me. He gets saved by Kiriko. Like that's the that's sort of why the pelican jeopardy right but like happens. but how long does that pelican thing go yeah. on and it is so like it yeah. is so sort of it, it's sort of contrast to like in totoro when you see the mouth of the goat up close for three seconds that's like three seconds of of uh film and this is like an entire extended terrifying pelican attack scene yes <laughs> it's true it's true you've never said that before yeah. um I wanted to mention so I wanted to mention what Moises mentioned earlier the dub the English dub um it's always a fun game because I never remember who's who the voices are, and then some of the voices I identify and some of the voices I don't. Was but Billy was, Bob Thornton in this one? What he was not. <laughs> I, I, he was I would not. say Dan Stevens yeah. and Tony Revolori though as parakeets, which is hilarious. And so, and Mamado uh, Athi uh, from Elemental and um, yeah, uh, as a parakeet, uh, the most recent uh, Jurassic World movies. Yeah. So, um, what I'll say is one of the things that I appreciate about the Miyazaki dubs is that they are done with a great deal of care. Ex- no expenses spared they are they are well done and professional and they the the challenge is of course that you often get big names i don't believe that anybody is going to see a miyazaki movie because um robert pattinson is a voice but robert pattinson although he nailed it so here's the, the thing heron, though here's i gotta say robert pattinson's the heron it's great it is a mm-hmm. weird performance that is perfect and appropriate and great on the other hand and jimma chan <laughs> uh, who's been in a bunch of great stuff she's good too mark hamill is the is the wizard also yeah. good right good you choice keep calling, or, you keep calling him a wizard i don't know that we ever see him do any wizard stuff. i don't know but he's the grand uncle who's got the magic tower and and created the universe but whatever uh mark hamill is that he's Florence, got the wizard hair florence q is kiriko so that's great but but as moises mentioned at the beginning christian bale uh-huh. is in this he's dad uh-huh. he i i, I have forgotten it was christian bale and i'm just sitting there throughout the movie thinking i don't know who this is but this is a legitimately terrible performance his accent is all over the place is he irish is he from brooklyn is he from australia <laughs> is he from england for a minute it sounded like he was it sounded like he was going for brooklyn and then it went philadelphia and then it jumped to australia England to massachusetts for it like two seconds distracting and weird and not good and i i mean it, it's bad it's it's it, it almost ruins the whole dub because it's such a, at least he's a minor character but it's a it's a legitimately terrible performance the, the 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 terrible choice there and as as uh ghibli dubs go um they have a very high batting average they yeah. really generally do a very good job casting these things even here most of the parts are good dave batista is the parakeet king i thought that was uh, the, hilarious the problem with bale the problem with bale <laughs> is that you know as as natively english as he is um he has this i, I get when I'm when he just shows up and they're like in here, here people. do your do your <laughs> your natural voice he can't decide if he's the kid who spent part of his time growing up in the U.S. or the kid with a kind if of I East End accent. Yep. And he ju- and 
I gather this is just what it's like dealing with Christian Bale, the regular know, human being, when he's not trying to sound like Bruce Wayne at I all times. I would rather he be Batman, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the interesting thing about the dubs is... It, even, we, we, mentioned, we talked about this in the Kiki thing. Even when in the dub they decide to totally recharacterize the, the voice like it is nothing like the Japanese one, it can still be good. Phil Hartman is nothing like the Japanese Gigi, but he's still good. Great right? character, right, yeah. And, and so this this the father character, I, I never saw the dub, I just saw the, the, the original audio. The father character, what the father has going for him is what every character in this movie has going for it in most Miyazaki movies is they're all essentially good people. The dad, for all of his not understanding that bringing his kid to school in a car is not going to be an impressive thing and and just and going off to work and expecting everything to be fine at home the dad rushes home when he hears his son has been injured the dad yes. gears up in a hilarious dad-like way to go save his son mm-hmm. and gets pooped on like the dad is a good person <laughs> and so you can recharacterize that voice to say okay well what kind of good person is he is he like a kindly doofy dad like the totoro dad is he like a more serious dad but so clearly this dad cares about his kid and it sounds like christian bale was like distracting you from the character's yeah, perfect, yeah. which is this character is a is a is trying to be a good dad in a devil situation. This 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 dad loves his kid. I feel this like dad loves both of his wives, and he's trying to do the right <laughs> thing. He's just a dad, his dead wife, and his live well, wife. And, and, and I there feel... were two problems I think to that point with his performance here, and and we discussed it for a for a period after we watched the the subtitles. Uh, one is that he comes off as a jerk. The, the the way he's voiced, the way Christian Bale voices him, uh, and, and, and that's I mean, there not, are things not the way that the dad comes off in the Japanese. And in, uh, in the original. subtitles, we we discussed it later after the subtitle version. She said the dad comes off way. My my wife said that the dad comes off way better there. He seems like a good guy. Mm-hmm. In 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 the dub, uh, he seems like a jerk because one of the earliest things he's talking about is how a bunch of uh, a bunch of the Japanese naval guys died in some battle. But uh, no big deal about that because, you know, there's there's a bunch of work, extra work at the factory now. Um, and, and and then later on, he just he he seems like he's just this knuckleheaded, boisterous idiot that is less clueless about the fact that he's going to cause trouble for his kid by you know showing up with the car and more just like he wants to show off his car yeah so, bale yeah. bale plays this 1000 percent japanese guy as like an american industrialist and, and it's great I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that was the second thing we discussed about it was we were wondering is he coded as as like a european or an american like is it's, that the point of his it's, weird it's it, right like well so here's the thing i think the ideal like these are real performances, but I think an ideal dub performance in an, especially in an animated movie where where there you know it's an alternate audio track in some ways because it's not the person it's an animated character if follow me anyway I think it's a lot less offensive to watch a dub of an animation than it is of a of a live action but um, my point is there's an artistic viewpoint of who the character is and I think a great dub performance is leaning into what the artistic implication of the character is and allowing the filmmaker and the film to continue to have the audience understand who that character is not redefine it not yeah, reinterpretation it. reinterpretation like this is what completely ruined right. it for so, me so 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 you get a good dub performance and it's like like phil hartman right like there are different ways you have wisecracking talking animals and animated movies right like and phil hartman's take is different from the original uh gg take but they're both sort of like 
they fit in what the movie's trying to do and you're going to be able to read it in that yeah. way. And that's the problem. And they're, and they're the, they're the same tone too. Like yeah. Phil Hartman is not uh, like Gigi is not more of a jerk or more evil no. or more flippant. He, it's just a different way for him to be a caring, wisecracking sidekick. Here's here's who you cast as this dad. Andy Daly, um, Dylan Baker, you know. Somebody uh, who just shows yeah, up, the dad says the lines. House. Yeah, because ba- it's a dumb Bob Saget thing, always dead. Sorry, it, Bale. This performance is so weird because I feel like it's not only is the accent inconsistent, which is really frustrating, because but it makes you spend time in the movie when you're watching the dub, going like, "Who the hell is this guy?" and "What is this performance trying to impart about his character?" And the fact is, it shouldn't be doing that. It's just yeah. the. I guess ego of the famous actor trying to do a thing, but like you should not be imposing your personality on the character in this movie. That is not what your job here is. And in this case, it's just, I mean, maybe there are cases where that, that could work, but like in this case, it just goes off the rails. It, 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 I would say, yes, it should be a very good voice actor who is taking this bit part of like the dad. He is a secondary part. And instead it's like, oh no, stand back everybody. Christian Bale is here and he stinks up the joint. I mean, I I don't know what else to say about it. I just, I was, I was amazed. We came out and I'm like, wow. I said, this movie had a lot in it and I've got to process that, but I will say this, Christian Bale was bad. That's it. I'm, I'm so glad that I saw the original Japanese version before i watched the dub because it it really like that performance really did take me out of it um but it took me out of it less because i already i had i had already seen it once and so it was just a a different performance of the same material allegedly and you had gotten the baseline yeah, like the alternate cast showed up and, um, yeah, you know, the, with that one name. notable exception, everybody else did a great job. Well, Pattinson, yeah. I, again, I want to just say it, Pattinson. Um, Amazing. It, he is, uh, speaking of various Batman that are in this movie, I guess, uh, who's the better uh, Batman as a voice actor and a Miyazaki? Two, two Batman and a Joker. It's, it's, and a Joker. Yeah, and yeah. a Joker. It's Pattinson. Pattinson does a, it, it, the, the Heron is a very strange, peculiar Miyazaki character and Pattinson does Moises and I were talking about this um, I think before you saw the dub and you're like yeah, I assume I Bale it. is all over the place doing stuff and Pattinson is a very precisely weird performance and I'm like could be Moises because <laughs> yeah. it is it is very precisely weird and it's good he does a good job yeah yeah good I, job, don't, Pattinson. I don't think the dub impacted the, the movie that much to be honest I mean it's certainly certainly his performance is is the worst thing about it I think the dub in general was was very good yeah really I agree is. so I don't want I don't want people to avoid watching yeah. this if they're not subtitled no, people I'm just, just because disappointed of that, but... by by Bale's performance because it's I mean because yeah. the dad's not that important but there is an emotional truth to the dad that you end up being like I mean I spent all my time going like where is this guy from what am I supposed to know about this dad and the answer is not really anything but yeah. the performance is so specific that you're like are you trying to tell me something Christian Bale to, I mean to to Steve's point I think you know I I I am very much uh, you know, team subs, it, unless, you know, you're somebody who really has trouble handling, you know, in some cases, the rapidity of dialogue or the complexity of what's happening or something like that. Not generally um, but, an issue with Miyazaki movies, but yeah. Yeah. As, <laughs> as dubs go, as dubs go with that one minor character that disappears for the vast majority of the movie after the first 20 minutes, um, it, it's, it's really quite solid. Like Tony Revolori, Dan Stevens and Mamadou, uh, Athi, 
as various guard parakeets, <laughs> parakeets. <laughs> for, for maybe for maybe six lines total um, do an absolutely delightful job of these dumbfounded. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Are we in the Tower Master's chambers? Is this what is heaven? happening right now? Yeah, is this oh. heaven? Uh, just delightful. Like th- that's the definition of making the most out of a handful right. of lines. Well, that Will- don't Willem directly Defoe impact is a the pelican, plot. and when he comes on, you're like, "Oh, that's Willem Dafoe," but it's okay because you're like, "What? It's the who old could, pelican? He's who could grizzled. be more of a pelican than Willem <laughs> Dafoe?" He's Willem got Defoe blood dripping from it. his mouth. We he's have something it. of a pelican myself. Pelican here, yeah. <laughs> It's we all, have to eat these babies. All, you know, one of the reasons why I like the dubs in the Miyazaki <laughs> movies is that if I'm really if I if I'm not familiar with the movie, um, I really want to drink in the visuals and not having to read the subtitles while I'm trying to look at the like incredible detail of visuals is pleasant. But uh, but yeah, the you know you 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 are taking one remove of the movie by having these dub performances because they're different anyway it, it's a they do a good job I, absolutely i don't want to say that it's just i was surprised that there was one particular part where i was like i don't know who this is but i don't like it and it mark was mark hamill's mark hamill's really good um yeah. as the grand uncle yeah to me a, a weird sort of parallel universe stunt casting relative um what he did as luke skywalker oh, in the we, sequel trilogy it's great we got bat we got two batmans a, uh, a a joker and a green goblin and a green goblin sure and so, uh, and and well, what uh, do you want? and uh and we and got a, we got a guardian of the galaxy we, as the parakeet king we do an eternal as 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 both moms yep <laughs> but we did genuinely spend 15 minutes discussing whether the somehow the dad was supposed to be a european or an american because of the goofy ass because it's that, weird yeah that it's we had so to weird. suffer that that combined with the fact that their house is super weird they've got like a little victorian house that they actually oh, yeah there's a, a colonial vibe going on in the yeah although i in, in where they live it, it, there's that moment where i'm like oh this is kind of like totoro right because it's the mother is gone we're in the countryside mm-hmm. welcome to the house but that house we yeah we didn't t- really talk about it. the house the corridors there there are the 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 staff there the maids it's, it's a big place and the, the one mom, guy the, the, the six stepmom and her right. room is off in this dark wing of the house and she's got this big dark well room. there's a giant fancy traditional japanese house that's the front entrance but right. they all actually live in this little worn down victorian in the back right. mm-hmm. the mom's what the, is that the, the 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 new mom's chamber is like in the chamber there's an apartment like she's got a whole dining area plus her bedroom and all of that which is interesting i love that moment where they're going down the hallway um and you're just drinking in the this kind of animation you're, they're going down the hallway with the maids and they go past a, a it's it's a corridor with stairs and as you go past you see there's just a guy the guy is yep. the old guy is sitting wait. there there's a and lot like, of hey, staff for a family hey, of this size a lot, a lot of, staff. of staff yeah well obviously well, some the of them are dying factory business for no apparent reason <laughs> Building airplanes during World War II for Japan factory is good. Good business, I guess. I guess. Well, there's also there's also the notion of you know these could be the older relations from the family line, and yeah, and this is just kind of where the I actually read it is that the mom's family is wealthy, and this is the family estate, right? And they all knew the mom, and they they know the sister. They tell the story of the meteor. They're like, I was here when that happened, and it's not the mom who tells it. It's not even the stepmom. It's one of the old ladies who's like, yeah, "Yeah, we've lived here our whole lives, and here's what went down when Grand Uncle found the tower, and they built the thing around it. 
You get the the rationing thing is hilarious too, where there's the the, the tobacco rationing that comes in at several points where they're like, mm-hmm. "Hey, where did you get that?" And uh, it's just fun that they're all, yeah. all old ladies. And they're the, very and the excited about tinned meat, but they're much more excited about cigarettes. Yeah. Another reason, you know, to not show this to young kids. No. I don't know that young kids need to know about cigarette bartering. Well, I don't. I don't think yeah, that's. An, although it a, is kind of funny that our life, our, our uh, main character thing. is like, "Hey." Hey, I learned an important lesson, which is steal somebody's pack of cigarettes and use them to bribe the help. <laughs> and, and learn and learn how to build weapons. We'll just put yeah, the magical it, feathers yep. on them. And right, exactly. Them a lot oh yeah, right. Yes, the magical. Yes, with the magical feathers of the heron, your mm-hmm. homemade bow and arrow is with your with effective. your rice glue. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Oh, one more one more thing that lends lends possible credence. I mean, it doesn't lend credence to the theory, but it just reminds you that Miyazaki certainly knows his Disney. Uh, as much as he may disdain it and not mention it or whatever, he does have the mom going by in like a uh, a, a Snow White glass domed uh, little thing right. when she's unconscious or whatever. Mm. So there's a little nod in that direction. So put one more pebble on the scale for uh, fire never bothered me anyway line. <laughs> I would be surprised if Miyazaki has ever watched Frozen. I'm just saying. I I agree, but that line, he's got a fire person who is told that she's going to die in a fire, and she's like, fire doesn't bother me. No. <laughs> I mean, it's not a direct translation. I'm going by the subtitles that are on the screen. I don't speak Japanese. I don't know what they said in the dub, but I immediately thought of it. All right. Anything we have not talked about, I mean, there's a lot, but that you would like to mention about the boy and the heron now would be a good time. Um, Kiriko's fire whip is cool. We got to see it like twice, and um, I I think it it sums up a lot of what I love most about the movie is that they're fine showing us some cool stuff, but if you show us the cool stuff over and over and over again, then the cool stuff is a little bit less cool. That's fair. Anything uh, else? Two things that I feel kind of dumb about mentioning, just because I say it for every single Miyazaki film, and you know it's like, well, duh. Um, the the animation, particularly on the landscapes uh, and the countryside, just masterful, unbelievably beautiful. Um, I, this is the first Miyazaki that I've seen on a big screen, uh, and hundred percent worth the price of admission. Um, went twice for that reason, uh, just because it's just breathtaking. Um, you know what they put up there, and, and the amount of work that went into making it look as good as it did. Steve uh, Lutz says, "Hayao Miyazaki movies worth paying for." He's pretty good. I'll, I'll um, to say, I don't know what the budget was for this, but I feel like there was more money up on the screen in in uh, a modern contemporary, even just like a Mononoke or a Spirited Away, in terms of like, is when they, you know, you you draw the background, you draw the characters on it. Uh, how much detail does that background have for how long it's on the screen or whatever? If you get a chance to see something like Spirited Away on a big screen, I think you will see more money up on the screen. During, even something like Mononoke, more money up on the screen uh, than in this movie. Because I did feel like with some of the backgrounds, I'm like, if that if that was the, back back in his prime, you know, he would have had an extra seven months to spend on that background. Well, they, was on the they did end up frames. farming. They farmed some stuff out to Studio Ponoc which was founded by former Ghibli animators who made Mary and the Witch's Flower and Studio Chizu, which is run by Mamoru Hosoda, who did uh, Mirai and Belle and the Boy and the Beast and Summer Wars and the Girl Who Leapt Through Time and all that good stuff. So they they ended up farming out 
major sequences of this to other studios. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I didn't know that, but I, I kind of... I. I, I felt a little bit of a difference there. The, the thing that Miyazaki comes through on is the the key animation, like your characters, what they're doing or whatever, and then the backgrounds are second. I, and I did see Witch's Flower, and I could you totally see the Ghibli vibe there, but you can tell when Miyazaki's doing a. You can tell his character designs because they are insane, and b. You can tell <laughs> when he does because again, go go to any scene in this movie where anything trivial is happening, like the new mom gets off the the carriage that she's coming in and just watch those eight frames of animation. And you know that he sent that back six times because it wasn't right because the spring rebound on the thing when she gets off and the stumbling of the foot is just like such incredible attention to detail. And that also yeah. comes across in the big screen. Or, or uh, Mahito shaking his clog off at the very beginning when he's running to get to the hospital. You can make a super cut of, of uh, Miyazaki characters taking off their shoes in various <laughs> degrees yeah. of hurry. So yeah, that's the list of the. Uh, uh, I, I I noticed that detail. Yeah, of the, the goes out and then comes back in with the shoes. I'm like, right? Oh, Miyazaki, right? Like he's, he's got to get changed to when he. I love this too. This is such a. I don't know. Like his, his, his the building's on fire. His mom's in the building. He wants to go there. His dad says, "Stay here," you know. And of course, he doesn't listen. Right? But he doesn't just run out the door he has to go back and change into the i'm going out of the house clothes yes yeah and then and he does that as fast as possible but he's still within the constraints of the kid's life it's like well it's such an uh, uh, you know a, an unchangeable rule that you don't go out of the house wearing your pajamas you go out of the house wearing your clothes but i do want to run to see to try to save my mother but I, he and so in the movie miyazaki shows the scene of him going back upstairs yeah. taking off his pajamas putting on his regular because that's what that's what kids would do yeah. and that would feel like the most tense part of that experience is i had to run back inside and get changed before i could even run to my mother such that was i found that very affecting as well mm -hmm. and uh, definitely a scene that would not have been important enough it's kind of like uh when we talked about uh shinkai with the uh scene in uh, five centimeters per second, that long drawn out sequence where he's taking a series of trains that keep getting delayed and they just show it all because that is the part where he is feeling the most emotion of like, come on, when is this train going to get here? Like he, he wants to run, but he has to get changed because it doesn't occur to him. You can just run out of the house wearing whatever, like nothing happens because he's still young enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, yeah. one of the things I always take great um, joy in any Miyazaki movie is the unnecessary detail and like i love that and not unnecessary in that way because he, he realizes it's necessary it seems unnecessary yes. from a plot point but he realizes that's that's the part of of uh, highest tension and it, right? it, and it also sometimes it's just about it's about realism and it's about one of the ways that it he can ground especially since his movies are not always particularly grounded in reality mm -hmm. he can ground them in the reality of Sometimes it's um, mundanity, but it's it's still detail, and the detail makes like we made that. I like I made an animated GIF of that moment in is it Castle in the Sky where the, they get to the top of the steps and the dog. Yeah, that was a uh, uh, house moving castle. House moving right? castle. Yeah, like there are moments, and in, in this, it is things like putting on your shoes, and it's just these details that. Drinking from that weird water water glass thing that he had. Yeah, you oh, that's could cool. omit it, and it'd be like we can save so much time by not animating that. And with a Miyazaki movie, it's like no, you must animate that because that's part of it. Is it grounds the movie? Not only is it beautiful art, 
right? It's just beautiful art, but it grounds the movie in a sense of reality. Even if you're in an unreal space, if you've got something that, like, okay, like the fish guts, when they got the fish, the, the visceral, huh, really the nature of gutting where it's like, <laughs> here, put the knife in. And then he's like pulling it on the fish belly. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's, it's super, uh, specific. And then, the, and then the big, like under pressure guts bubble out and all of that. It is so detailed, but like, it, it grounds that scene. It makes this dreamlike moment that is unreal also real. And like, that is the beauty of a Miyazaki movie is, is that stuff that you could be like, Oh, we can cut that. We don't need to show that. It's like, no, show it, show it all. And that's what they do. I love it. Yeah. I, I fixated both times. I watched on that scene where they're walking into the forest and he steps in some mud. Yeah. Somebody spent like three weeks on that. Um, uh-huh. It's and like, it's we can beautiful. cut this. No, no, we need to know. No, right. mud mud it's doesn't muddy. displace that way. So so the various the various phases where the heron so the heron is just a heron, but at very you know, the, the, the person inside the heron comes out is always like kind of like bursting out, but then getting pulled back in and like the seventeen different scenes where that person is at various stages of being disgorged from the inside of the heron or being swallowed back into it. Just just so much of that. Like, it's not just like two modes, heron mode and person mode, or like person wearing a heron so suit mode. It's like 7,000 phases between there, and all of them are disturbing in some way. <laughs> so it's just pulsing and ex excluding, and his big nose poking out, and human teeth inside a bird mouth. And even when he gets the, the hole through it, and they, they fashion a little cork to put in the hole, just just so disturbingly over the top of all like all the, again the body horror of the of the heron uh, you know if you're gonna have a creature that's like it's a magic little guy who's mischievous he's disguised as a heron nobody would ever think to draw it like this it is so upsetting and so disturbing and so weird and so just like unexpected and again if you take a small child to see this they will have nightmares like yeah. there's no, there's no way to come out i think i'm gonna have nightmares about it i i yeah. I scribbled down the Latin over the doorway of oh, the Oh, yeah, tower. I was wondering about that. It's from the Divine Comedy. <laughs> sure. Oh, sure it is. Uh, it's from the Divine Comedy and and roughly translates to My Maker Was Divine Authority. Um, and um, yeah, I, if, if you got something from the Divine Comedy in the portal into your portal world... Um, Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe this is not the, uh, the portal fantasy you, uh, you <laughs> necessarily thought you were mm, getting. No. All right. The, the other real obvious point I wanted to make was, uh, once again, the Joe Hisaishi score. Yeah. Is flipping gorgeous in this. Mm -hmm. And and it's interesting because it's much more minimal than most of the other scores that I'm familiar with of his. Um, some of it's just solo piano. Yeah, Sometimes piano. it's solo piano with a maybe like a single violin uh, over the top of it. And and it's a perfect fit for, I think, the the more emotional stuff that goes on in the main narrative. Uh, you know, there isn't anything here that's going to that's gonna stick in your brain forever, like the lalas in uh, in Nausicaa, but, uh, but it's it's gorgeous. And many times while viewing the film, I was like, wow, that uh, greatly enhances the, the emotional heft of, of this part of the of the movie. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a, it, it put me in a, in a, like a little dreamlike trance of my own at several points, but like it, it's, it's a really impressive, beautiful score. A lot of piano. Um, Sometimes you'll just hit a single high note. Yeah. That to go along with some, some striking thing that happens in, in the film. And that just lingers for a while and decays. And it's just, it's, 
it, it's pretty amazing because it, it certainly is unlike what I've what I've heard from him before. So overall, what do we think? I mean, a new Miyazaki, uh, and it's it's we've talked about it for an hour and a half. Um, final judgments, I guess, of a sort. John, what do you think overall? I was trying. Was, we never did an episode where we like rank them or picked favorites or anything like that. No, we, we did kind of sure. We did one. sort of our wrap up. Of, there was uh, a wrap thing. Yeah, but like, we, like a per- personal, them. like your personal. I was, I was trying to think of where do I slot this in my personal rankings of the movies in terms of how how successful I think it is and how much I enjoy it. Uh, it's it's a difficult one for me because I feel like there is. I have a soft spot for the movies that are sort of, uh, you know, straightforward, coherent stories, uh, even though they're the sort of the least interesting in terms of structure. I, I do really like them because I think they're well executed. Um, and I also like the weird ones, but there are weird ones that are hits and misses. Like so for, for me, Ponyo is weird, but kind of a miss uh, and like Spirited Away. I know everyone loves that one, but that is not my most favorite weird mm-hmm. one. I think this is definitely in in the non-plot driven weird category but the the seriousness of this movie puts it off to the side and and makes it for me kind of like a sibling to The Wind Rises but The Wind Rises is very conventional and deals with adult themes in an adult way but does not go into any of the magic stuff but it is The Wind Rises wants to be serious in the same way that this wants to be serious and interesting that they are both his later movies right but they're so different in that, like, one does not have magic in it, really. Has dreams, has dream sequences. But even the, think of those dream sequences with the Italian guy and the wing. Those aren't drawn differently. Those are pretty much drawn the same way as reality is, but with an Italian plane designer standing on a wing. Um, I'm filing this along with The Wind Rises. I think The Wind Rises works better for me. I know Jason uh, does not particularly like this one, but I think The Wind Rises has its idea and theme and executes on it. And this one this one succeeds despite itself. And I think for addressing these kinds of things, I think I like Totoro. I like how Totoro addresses the children without a mom better. And I like how the wind rises addresses some serious adult themes better. And this kind of combines an adult, you know, the dark Totoro thing, an adult addressing of Totoro themes, not entirely successfully. So I would, I think I'm going to, this one would have to be, lower ranked in my estimation like i'm thinking like when am i going to watch this again because i'm not sure i'm ready to be maybe i'll watch the the dub but i'm not sure i'm ready to to go through it again it feels like a bit of an ordeal again maybe this affected me personally more than the average viewer because i found some of the parts of it uh very upsetting but it is difficult for me to to rank uh, because just because of how it falls in sort of the dark wing of his stuff and I don't know, like the the parakeets and stuff like that. I'm not sure I'm in the mindset to be to be able to ingre- enjoy them as much as they deserve to be enjoyed at that point in the movie. So, for me, it's kind of mid pack, not entirely successful, but elevated by the fact that it has things and does things that no other Miyazaki has and does. Misas, what about you? I, I have um, largely issued the sort of. Uh, internal war that I think John alludes to of where this lands is a favorite versus how successful it was at what it was doing from like a sort of objective measure sort of thing. Um, because I get twisted in too many knots trying to think about the things that I know about the behind the scenes or that I've read this week or whatever, or that, um, you know, I read some critic assert that I kind of agree with and that makes me think about, um, 
what they were trying for, what they were getting at, because at the end of the day, all that I can feel very passionately about is whether it worked for me. Um, and I have trouble ranking Miyazaki movies and like I and there are people who would um, criticize me for including Whisper of the Heart, which he didn't direct, but he wrote, but which is very thoroughly a Miyazaki movie in which he very thoroughly oversaw um, within the grouping of stuff. Um, it definitely falls in the world of the weird ones alongside Spirited Away. And I know there are people for whom Spirited Away really does not super duper work. But even though they're both portal fantasies, even though they both deal with weird phenomenological out there stuff that doesn't make logical, logical sense, but makes phenomenological sense. It makes the amount of sense it needs to um, for the the part of Alice's journey through Wonderland that she's going through. Um, this one playing more in the world of dreamscape and everything um, is trying to do it, 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 it is using so many of those pieces of things and themes that we're familiar with from so many of his other movies but it really is a very different kind of thing. And it's not because he was trying for that so much as that's the way that the thing ended up. Um, that That's the way that it's rolled around in my head um, where the parakeets parakeets were weird. Um, but as a child, one of the things that troubled me and, uh, and followed me and, and bothered me and spooked me out the most uh, came from a little movie called The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. When we were introduced to the Heffalumps and the Woozles. Heffalumps and Woozles are absolutely terrifying. Yeah, that Weasels and elephants, dream. who cares? But um, I, I, I was able to, uh, to kind of get past some of the parakeet stuff. On the one hand, oh, uh, hey, you want, uh, you want fascists? Yeah. Uh, Miyazaki covers fascists. He he covers them in this one, uh, but they're shaped like parakeets. Um, and uh, you know they they worked for me. And there were enough things going on that my critical brain didn't really engage much or at all the first time I watched it. And I just kind of flew through the dreamscape with it. And I wasn't on, you know, I hadn't been drinking. I wasn't on any uh, altering substances of any kind. Um, it was a, it was a weird first viewing of a movie for me where I was just kind of unclenched and, and guided by the hand through whatever this weirdo thing is. So even if say you are somebody who didn't really like spirited away and have listened to all of this and for some reason have not seen the movie and have been able to in any way follow what we've been saying. Um, I think there is something of a like very dark tinge doctor who to some aspects of this. And actually as, as we have recently had some stuff that plays with, you know, the rules of, of uh, different things uh, than science fiction usually does, um, you know, the powers of suggestion and that kind of a thing. Um, it, it, it plays, with a lot of pieces that are familiar to people that have seen a bunch of Miyazaki stuff and plays with them in unexpected ways that, that I think reflexively makes us go, Oh, but that isn't supposed to work like that. Um, and the movie's like, no, 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 the way that you think things work, that isn't how they work. 
things just are. And this is what they are. Why are you thinking so hard? Pay attention to the movie. Um, or let your mind wander. Um, it is, it is, it, 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 especially upon a second viewing, it is, it's really unique for me in his filmography because whatever I went in trying to expect, I could not have possibly expected any of this. Um, other than that he was going to do something weird and do something unexpected and make choices that, you know, like to the point of the, the little bits of business of putting on shoes and, you know, the displacement of, of mud by a footprint that there are always going to be those things you can't expect, um, on the big scale, like parakeet carnival. Um, and then on the small scale of little tiny bits of business. And, um, I'm really glad that Ghibli themselves were making an effort to just not overload people with imagery from the movie and let them go into this thing, just knowing you're going to go see it. You're going to go see it. So how about you go see it knowing as little as humanly possible. And I think that more than anything made it possible for me to go into that first viewing just like, like it, it didn't take years to make. It just appeared out of nowhere. And, uh, and suddenly I got to go on the journey. Um, it's fun. It's weird. It's wild. Um, and, and deals with some, some very deep stuff. So be prepared for that. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know how anybody listened to this without having seen the movie, but that's yeah. the choice people but make. But there are sickos out there who do that and we love them, but yeah, come yeah. on, go see the movie. Weird. Steve, you have any uh, overall thoughts? Oh, we love our listeners. We do. Uh, yeah, it was a bit of a weird viewing experience for me. Um, having, you know, seen The Wind Rises and, and ha having been 10 years since, you know, Miyazaki produced a, a animated film, I kind of half expected we were going to get something that was more of a straightforward narrative uh, like The Wind Rises was um, with less of the kooky stuff. Mm, and I was kind of sad about that. Because I figured, well, he's matured, and now he he want, he has things he wants to say, and maybe he's lost the 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 crazy spirit that fueled the the living drug trip that was spirited away, and you know almost everything else from that same period. <laughs> um, and and when I watched the first twenty minutes of this, I was like, oh yeah, this is a much more straightforward narrative, in spite of the you know the weird heron and the fact that he's clearly speaking. Uh, and then there's like obviously another set of eyes and a nose peeking out of that beak. You know, this is this is maybe like the one semi whimsical odd thing that's going to 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 be you know the the, the strange thing about this otherwise straightforward narrative, um, like the fact that sometimes in your World War II pilot movie one of them's a pig, um, and then everything went cuckoo bonkers as sometimes Miyazaki <laughs> films do. Uh, and I was overjoyed about that because I was like, the dude still got it. He can still, he could still, uh, you know, rock a completely insane, um, dream state movie the way he used to. But I was a little sad at that point too, because that narrative had been so strong and I was really being carried along by this sort of weird and, and surprisingly moving through line. Uh, of Mahito and you know him dealing with uh, aunt stepmom and coming to terms with that, uh, and so in the end, you know, I, I I feel like these two movies are sort of at odds with each other, as I've mentioned before, and as a result, the two parts aren't entirely satisfying, and yet at the same time, I really, really loved it. 
I enjoyed the hell out of it. I, I, it was such a fantastic experience to finally be able to see one of these movies on the big screen. And I got a little of, of both worlds of, of what he can put out. And, uh, and in the end, I, I really ended up enjoying it. Um, looking back on it, having seen it the second time and, and realizing that so many of these sort of wacky things don't fit in so well with the narrative itself. Um, I feel like this isn't one I'm going to revisit a ton, uh, but it was still a wonderful experience seeing it the first time and 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 having Miyazaki again to sort of get lost in, uh, you know, those beautiful landscapes and the the craziness of it all. Um, there's really nothing like it, and uh, and it was a, a fantastic experience overall that I really enjoyed. I'm, I'm not going to try to put it in the the rankings of the other films. Uh, mainly because I don't remember half of when it on in in those, and I don't remember how I ranked them the last time, and they right. probably completely changed by this point anyway. Sure. If I if I really sat down and thought about it, um, like I said, I do think this is one that I'm probably not going to go back and watch a million times. Um, that could change next week, for all I know. But uh, but not fantastic never... film. I I highly recommend people go see it, particularly if uh, like my wife, you've never seen a Miyazaki before. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, tough, first, tough first choice. Yeah, she enjoyed it a hell of a lot. In fact, and uh, and was was moved to go watch the subtitled version with me. Um, well, I know what she needs to do next. Afterwards, there's a lot more good stuff that she might enjoy if she. Yeah, and this. I've got it all on Blu-ray now, so it's mm -hmm. uh, you know we're we're well prepared. But you know, um, I was visiting. I think it was a family member. I, I I wish I could remember who it was, or maybe it was just uh, at a friend's house, and we mentioned Miyazaki, and they're like, "I don't know who that is," and I'm like, "Oh boy," I'm okay. like, <laughs> "Okay, I'll, I'll let's start by saying one of the greatest directors of all time." <laughs> <laughs> and Japanese animation, but like again, and I and I and I'm like, how do I even explain? Like, he makes movies that kids love that are great for kids. He makes super weird movies. Um, just watch some of them. So I'm 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 excited for your wife that she saw this and she might actually want to see more because it is like there are just a lot of people out there who have no idea even that this guy exists and and like oh my god he is one of our he's one of the great directors of all time it's it, and steve steve made mention of of you know how long it's been since the wind rises and i mean for perspective he's 82 years old uh a year older than martin scorsese three days yeah and over the last 10 years he spent his 70s making this movie this movie with like the imaginative energy of of somebody much younger, which speaking of Scorsese reminds me, like when I saw The Wolf of Wall Street, I was like, there's no way the guy that directed this is 70 years old. That d doesn't. Mm -hmm. Where do these guys find that that kind of juice? Um, and and I think the the overall energy of it, we mentioned, you know, the the wizard in the tower and the kid are both him. Um, you know, it, it's almost like from Ponyo on. Miyazaki found this well of like childlike imaginative focus that focused into these last absolute like total bangers of last movies that he's made, mm. you know, it, like or dislike the, the subject matter of Wind Rises <laughs> a, as you may. A, a man like, with many last movies. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> he continues the the last that the movies. Yeah. I mean, Wind, Wind Rises is a is a remarkable film. I just it. it, it I have my frustrations with it, but I, I think this is a very Miyazaki movie in all the best ways. Um, I agree that it's not a kind of movie that I can envision, in, you know, rewatching 
a lot, but that's okay. There are very few movies that I feel like I want to revisit a lot. But there is this second tier of Miyazaki movies that I'm not going to watch every year or two, but I am going to revisit because I want, I know that there's so much in there and this is so true of this movie. There's so much in this movie that I know when I revisit it, it's going to be fresh because I'm going to have forgotten a lot of bits of it because there are so many bits in it. And I may remember the overall arc, but I'm going to revisit the like, Oh, right. They're the, the spirits of the children who are set on fire before they're eaten by pelicans. Right. Like I may forget that part. And then I'm going to be delighted by that again. It is, it does. it, It is a very Miyazaki movie in all the ways, which I think is kind of funny, but it's also good. Like the, the truth is, I have not, there is no Miyazaki movie that I've seen that I would say, no, you don't, you don't need to watch it. It's not that it's not very good. Like he is this singular talent and everything he does is worth seeing because he's just that guy. He has ideas and vision and, and do they always end up being completely coherent and an all-time classic? Well, no. But even when he's taken lots of swings and some of them miss or some of them are kind of like foul balls instead of home runs, even his mess is fascinating and and worth seeing. And I definitely am looking forward to seeing this movie again at least once more uh, in the near term because I haven't seen the sub. I've only seen the dub. I only I, I barely got a chance to see it before we did this episode. But I do think that I will revisit it from time to time, but I think it's in that category and that's fine because there's a lot. And also because as John said, you know, maybe I can't take it, uh, that often because it's kind of dark and kind of weird, but also that's why we like it is, is that that's the great contradiction. We like it cause it's dark and weird, but also it's kind of dark and weird. We're, we're going to have another 10 years before there's another movie. So right. what are we going to fill the time with? I don't know. I mean, yeah, he's got his whole eighties to make that movie. Um, yeah, so it, it's, I, I, I consider it really 10 years ago when I saw the wind rises, I was like, well, I finally got to see a, a brand new Miyazaki movie since I've been watching all these movies. That was the first like brand new Miyazaki movie I got to see. And I was like, well, at least I got to do it with his last movie 10 years later. Oh, let's go see the new last Miyazaki movie. <laughs> Glad I was able to do it. Glad I was able to talk to all of you it's about a, it's it. It's a once a, a decade tradition. It. it is a very, and that's why this is such a, you know, we've been doing this for 700 episodes. That's why this is a very special episode to be able to reconvene the uh, Miyazaki club and talk about the boy and his wacky sidekick, the heron, who's pooping everywhere and might be a guy in a mascot costume or just a heron who's pooping everywhere. I'd like, given the poop, I'd really rather it be a bird than a, a guy. Cause what, yeah. Is he pooping in a costume? And then they, No, it's magic. <laughs> Don't even think about it. Don't think about it too much. All right. That brings us to the end of this episode of The Incomparable. Uh, thank you to everybody out there who listened. And thank you to my panelists, John Syracuse, Steve Lutz, and Moises Chuyon. We will see you next time.